0: lights welcome you are listening to this weekend marvel i'm ryan aka agent m
1: and i'm jamie aka agent old school
0: yeah we're gonna be talking to lots of old school stuff later on this episode but first we got to get to our top news and that is that marvel studios black panther has been nominated for not one not two not three not four not five not six but seven oscars including best picture whoo In addition, the film has been nominated for costume design, original score, the original song, All the Stars by Kendrick Lamar and SZA, as well as production design, sound editing and sound mixing. Heck yeah. Well deserved.
1: And also the first superhero movie to be nominated for Best Picture. So congratulations all around, cast, crew, everyone. This is a huge achievement. It's so exciting and so deserving.
0: Heck yeah. If you're just joining us on This Week in Marvel, we talk about it stuff that we're hyped about. We give you some insight into cool things about Marvel. We do interviews, all kinds of fun stuff. So this episode, the interview is with the human suplex machine, Taz. <laughs> I do my very best wrestling announcer voice, uh, Taz from ECW, WWE, uh, as well as sports broadcasting. I'm, I was super jazzed to talk to him. He and I have become buddies over the last couple of months. He's just the best. Our big talk for this episode is what Jamie was referring to, the old school stuff. We're talking about the Invaders. And uh, we have a new Invaders comic going on. We've got the 80th anniversary rolling along. But before we get into all the hype stuff that we're excited about this week... We need to mention the legend that is George Perez. He recently announced his retirement via a Facebook post of his own. He said that, you know, he's got a few convention appearances left to do over the next year, some limited commissions, but he won't be doing any new comics work anymore, which is a huge bummer because he's one of my favorite artists. But wow. He's had a legendary career. I'm going to run down some stuff for you real quick. He's done over 50 issues of Avengers, as well as he did the art on the big 1998 relaunch with writer Kurt Busiek. He's done tons more stories, and that was just interior art and in the covers. He's done probably hundreds of covers for us. But his Avengers work includes Korvac saga, which is one of the biggest epics in Marvel, the Serpent Crown saga. And he did the art for one of my all-time favorite Avengers stories, which is called Ultron Unlimited. And uh, if you look at the cover to Avengers number 19 from 1999, it is terrifying, but it's so simple. It's a black cover with just Ultron's eyes and mouth glowing and, like, energy coming out. It's so simple, so effective, and it's the story of Ultron coming back. He destroys a whole country, and the Avengers have to stop him, but one of my all-time favorite Thor moments in comics comes in issue number 22. Kurt Busiek wrote this, and it has Thor leading Captain America, Iron Man, Black Panther, and uh, Firestar through, like, some rubble to go fight Ultron. It's a big panel Thor. His costume is torn up. George Perez is a very meticulous artist, but the, the line of dialogue in there is Thor saying, Ultron, we would have words with thee. And it's like such gravity and so powerful. And the way it's drawn, just the most badass is like my favorite. I wish that moment had been recreated somewhere in in the MCU. It's so good. But George did work in the 70s on Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, Fantastic Four, lots of great Fantastic Four stuff, Marvel 2 and one What If, so much more but some of his most notable books, a little something called The Infinity Gauntlet. Maybe you've heard of it. He launched that. The Snap, he drew that. If you don't know George's work, look him up on Marvel Unlimited. See the glory. His retirement is well earned. Now, on to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. First up, I wanted to point out that Web of Venom Cult of Carnage is coming in April. It's by my friend, Frank Thierry, who knows how to write creepy and scary and super messed up stories drawn by Danilo S. Beirut, who's been drawn the heck out of Man Without Fear. The last issue of Man Without Fear is so
1: good. I have been loving Man Without Fear so much. Yeah. It's- Amazing.
0: But this Carnage story is going to be a big piece for what Team Venom is working on and really will dig into Carnage's plans. I also saw this week that we've got a comic tied to the new themed land at Disney Parks, which is Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Uh, And I'm pulling from the press release because this is all I have, but I got really (laughs) excited. Uh, It said, quote, Black Spire Outpost has long been frequented by smugglers, merchants and travelers from every corner of the galaxy looking to make their score on the infamous black market. Or experience the exotic thrills only the remote world of Batu has to offer. It's a place where beings thrive on unique opportunities of the lawless outpost at the edge of space. But the first order threatens their livelihood.
1: Mm, sounds like a real hive of scum and villainy.
0: Indeed. This is a five-issue limited series titled The Same as the Land. It begins in April. It's by writer Ethan Sachs and artist Will Sliney. Terrific creative team. I'm very hyped for that one.
1: Very cool. Also, we announced this week that writer Eve Ewing, writer of Ironheart, is bringing back Marvel Team Up this April with Ms. Marvel and Spider-Man. We have an interview on Marvel.com with Eve Ewing, and it's a real winner. I have have a friend who was really hyped about a possible Eve Ewing project, and I was like, is this it? This is it.
0: So Marvel Team Up traditionally is a Spider-Man book. Is it a Spider-Man book or is it a Ms. Marvel book? Do we know?
1: Here's the cover. You can see the cover. So it's a Spider-Man
0: book. Yeah. Uh, or it could just be two characters every issue. So Marvel team, a fantastic, long-running series, had a lot of old-school uh, Chris Claremont, John Byrne stuff, introduced Captain Britain, had just really, really neat stories. And so it was the Spider-Man plus whatever other hero every issue. I'm so excited. that That's terrific news.
1: Yeah, you can read all about it on marvel.com, including a little plot summary, but just really awesome stuff from eViewing. And uh, I just like seeing eViewing's name in the press, writing yeah. stuff, bringing stuff back. Very cool.
0: Good stuff for this 80th anniversary. Uh, so earlier we talked about Marvel Studios Black Panther and its just monumental celebration coming at the Academy Awards. Well, not forgetting other Academy Awards info, we've got two more. Marvel Studios Avengers Infinity War was nominated for visual effects. And Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse has been nominated for Best Animated Feature. And speaking of awards, Marvel's Wolverine The Long Night Podcast has won an iHeartRadio Podcast Award for Best Scripted Podcast,
1: which is just great. It's awesome. I might just have to listen to it for a third time. My goodness. It's so good. Oh, man. Congratulations to Marvel's Will's Read the Long Night.
0: Yeah, uh, and just one little podcast thing: our very own evil producer Brandon was bell of the ball at PodCon recently. Oh, he was on a panel, he hosted a <laughs> workshop, he took glamour shots with everybody. It was just adorable. At least that's what it was in my head. Uh, I just imagine him like being like whisked around PodCon. Yeah, just the happiest and little
1: wanting man. none of this to I happen know. to him. That's
0: great. Anyway, on to our top books from this week's episode of marvel's pull list those are avengers number 13 crypt of shadows number one so good yeah guardians of the galaxy number one and war is hell number one if you want to learn about these books and all the books that came out you can subscribe to marvel's pull list wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video versions on marvel.com all right so those are the books that uh we're hyped about this week but it's time for a deep dive into the invaders for our big talk section and there's a few reasons why i want to talk about the invaders right now first we have a really great new Invaders comic by Chip Zdarsky, Butch Geis, and Carlos Magno. And second, we're celebrating the 80th anniversary of Marvel, particularly the 30s and the 40s right now. And the Invaders is a team that formed in World War II, brought together by British Prime Minister Winston Churchill to battle the Axis powers and aid allied forces during the war. So the Invaders, the core and really the most memorable team consists of Captain America, Bucky, Namor, the original android human torch and Torch's sidekick and also fellow flamed up hero toro there have been other iterations over the years which we'll get to later uh, but this key group is who we really look at as our invaders and so you may ask yourself when did they first appear or you could ask me well it was the 1940s right no kind of here's where it starts to get a little confusing believe me doesn't end. Uh, the Invaders, <laughs> <Comics>. <laughs> the Invaders as an official team, didn't show up or get a name or an introduction until the 1970s with Giant Size Invaders number one. That led to the ongoing Invader series that ran from 1975 through 1979. So how do the comics of the 40s factor in the golden age stuff where the Human Torch first appeared, Namor first appeared, Captain America first appeared? Many folks look to the All winner Squad, a similar squad that appeared twice Two times.
1: That's it. it's because they won. (laughs) They're all winners. Yeah. They get a second chance.
0: Uh, They appeared twice in the comics of the late 40s as the basis of the invaders is often what people think of. So the all-winner squad, this kind of prototype for the invaders, first came together in all-winner's comics, number 19, in 1946. The team was Namor, Captain America, Bucky, Human Torch Toro, plus Miss America and The Wizzer. Uh, there's a quick diversion I want to do on Ms. America and Whizzer because they come in and out of Evader's history over the years. They were Timely Comics-era heroes. Timely Comics is uh, who we were in the 30s and the 40s, and they appeared in lots of comics of the 40s. Miss America, she had super strength and durability, and she didn't fly per se from what I understand. Uh, she sort of like launched herself and then could – Keep herself going for a while. It's
1: kind of like Jessica Jones-ish. Very, yeah, yeah. actually very
0: Jessica Jones-ish. Wizzer, he's a speedster. Runs real fast. Easy. They actually get married after World War II. They came back in the 60s and 70s as part of this whole invaders retro hype. They later join the Invaders. And when we get into the 70s Invaders series, you'll you'll see tons more timely comic superheroes reintroduced into modern Marvel. That becomes a big thing for the Invaders. All right, so that's a lot about the All Witter Squad, but back to the Invaders, who kind of—I say kind of—show up in 1969's Avengers number seventy-one by Roy Thomas and Sal Buscema. Sal Buscema. I say kind of because it wasn't the full team that we think of, nor did they have a team name yet. This story, set in 1941, is part of a bigger epic in which the Avengers are caught between Kang, uh, the time-traveling conqueror, and Grandmaster in this game of power and time travel and Michigas Avengers members Hank Pym, Black Panther, and The Vision are sent to Paris in 1941, and they end up battling World War II-era Cap Human Torch and Namor. Uh, And those three are just in Paris. They're fighting Nazis. They're doing their thing. Yeah. As they would. But this little story was kind of all we had for a few years. Then we get to Giant Size Invaders number one from 1975 by Roy Thomas, again, and artist Frank Robbins. Uh, Here we see the Invaders team officially coming together. In this story, it's set at the end of 1941. The Invaders form with Cap. Bucky, Torch, Toro, Namor, all of them teaming to fight a Nazi super soldier named Masterman. Uh, We get a little conversation in there and a footnote saying uh, Cap and Torch are talking about fighting Red Skull together in a comic called Young Allies, number one. That's from 1941. So it's really neat how he started to thread all this stuff together. It's a really fun story, especially because they are brought together and named by Winston Churchill, who's like shows up and he's all like, all right, take me to the White House by the end of the issue. They even get their own battle cry, which they would use throughout their run. Look out, Axis. Here we come. I'm
1: just going to shout that every morning when I wake up.
0: 100%.
1: So do you think that in the 60s and 70s, when the country was maybe in, we'll say, a less star-spangled patriotic mood, that people were sort of longing for something going back to those good old days?
0: I mean, that's part of comics, right? It's like escapism and you want stories that both reflect your world but also show you something different. And a big part of this, as we'll see, is writer Roy Thomas because he grew up reading the Golden Age comics, the timely comics, reading about these heroes. Thomas was a child in the 1940s. I think he was born in like 40 or 41. So he voraciously read Golden Age comics. So this is really all him. This is him like... Planting his flag in the ground saying, this is what I want. These are the comics I want to read. These are the comics I want to write. These are the comics I want to edit. I mean, he followed Stan Lee as editor-in-chief and, and as writer of many books. So Roy was the champion, and this was his passion.
1: it has got to be one of the best parts of being a comic creator is that you kind of get to tell the stories you've always wanted to tell and get so many more people to see them. So yeah. I love hearing stories like that. Yeah,
0: if you're fortunate enough, it's, it's, it's incredible. Okay, so... That was Giant Size Invaders number one, where they come together. They were supposed to be number two, but they actually just went right to an ongoing Invader series. It's fun stuff. And even in the first issue, they're arguing over whether they should call themselves Invaders. Cap's like, I think it's a little much.
1: Yeah, it does feel like Invaders has some kind of negative connotations, especially considering the people they were fighting against.
0: Cap actually says, I prefer something that says what we really are, protectors, preservers. And then you get the uh, human torch, Jim Hammond, in there. It's like, guess I'm just hotter-tempered than you, Cap. I'd like a name more like the Revenge Squadron or the American Avengers. (laughs) And then (laughs) like— Oh, uh, just wait. Yeah, then Namor (laughs) gets involved and uh, Toro and Bucky start arguing. But it's really fun because you have this team dynamic of them sort of like— There's friction, but they work together, but that even plays into now the stuff that Chip's doing. Like, they were very close, but they were also, like, sometimes at each other's throats.
1: Yeah, I kind of—I love teams like that where, really, they don't belong together, but they can still really work together if they find that one little narrow path of common ground, that one little narrow strip.
0: So— the Invader series ran from 1975 to 1979, 41 issues plus an annual. The bulk of the series was written by Roy Thomas and then towards the end by Don Glutt. Most of the art was by Frank Robbins and then some by Paul Kupperberg towards the end. And so they had lots of heroes that they teamed up with who just showed up in the book or even joined the Invaders during this run. Uh, and for Roy and the crew, it was a fun way to bring back and update many of the original timely Marvel characters or just make up brand new ones that fit into those stories. We'll see Roy Thomas just open the floodgates and bring back a ton of those characters over those four years. Uh, And they really did some fun world building around the classic heroes and the teams who fought during both world wars. So we have Union Jack, who is the original creation of this era, not a golden age return. He's probably the most notable of them. Um, You know, he's In addition to this Invaders team, but there have been several legacy heroes who have been Union Jack. He has a dope costume. He's had numerous series of his own. He's been, I think, on the Avengers. He's been around. Union Jack is really cool. So Invaders number seven introduced the original Union Jack, James Fallsworth, as well as a World War I team called Freedoms Five, And the five were Union Jack, Phantom Eagle, Crimson Cavalier, Sir Steel, and Silver Squire. I don't know how super they were. I don't know if they, any of them really had powers. But still, they came together and they were fighting during World War One. But they only appear a few times. It's a, just a cool footnote in the history of Marvel teams that I really dig. And so this Union Jack, Lord James Falsworth, uh, though older in the pages of Invaders, it's like 20 plus years later, he still fights with the Invaders for a bit. But he gets gravely injured and stops being Union Jack. So remember the name Fallsworth. We're going to get into that. Okay, it's a whole thing. Put a pin in it. Invaders number 12 introduced Spitfire, Okay, daughter of yeah. the original Union Jack, James Fallsworth. She got super speed powers from the Human Torch's android blood transfusion after she's bitten by her uncle, who is the vampiric Baron Blood. This is comics. Okay,
1: let's unpack this for a second. First yes. of all, I love Spitfire already. Second, android blood?
0: Sure. I, okay. Th- there's even is that a, motor oil. No, but there's even a a panel in the comic where he's like. I don't know how this worked, but it did. <laughs> Literally, they were like, just roll with it. It okay. was so great. I love comics.
1: This is called Suspension of Disbelief. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I honestly like when I read your description of Spitfire, I loved her so much. Yeah. Has she ever shown oh, up? Oh, of course. Yeah, she's, oh, she's okay.
0: She's shown up tons and tons. Um, I think because of the android blood, she doesn't age the same way. So she's been around a ton. She's got basically like super speed powers. She's awesome. I would She like- is a. Spitfire.
1: I'd like to think that the android, quote unquote, blood maybe turned her blood cells into tiny, tiny, tiny robots.
0: <laughs> if only. if
1: uh, only. She's
0: also bitten by a vampire and then gets an android blood transfusion. So she's got all kinds of business in her.
1: Oh, so she's living forever.
0: Yeah, uh, maybe. She's just
1: hanging out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A few months later in Invaders number 18, the Destroyer is reintroduced into the Marvel Universe. I think he was called the Mighty Destroyer, but we really just refer to him as the Destroyer now. He is an original Timely Era character, and in this story, he's revealed to be Brian Falsworth. Again, another Falsworth. He's the son of the original Union Jack, sister to Spitfire, nephew to Baron Blood. He's got some powers from a version of the Super Soldier Serum, whatever, and mostly fights Nazis in Germany. So he's like... He's got a really cool, like, weird-looking costume, but by Invaders number twenty, Brian has actually adopted the Union Jack costume and identity from his father, and he and Spitfire then fight with the Invaders against Hitler and Masterman and Warrior Woman. It's a whole lot.
1: I know. love. I love that his name's Brian.
0: Yeah, Brian. Brian. That's oh, so the good.
1: Destroyer. It's Brian. Yeah.
0: Now Roy Thomas, Don Glut, and the other creators they built this solid Rogues gallery for the Invaders. I. This is real fun. The main group was an anti-invaders kind of team. They were called the Super Axis because, sure, why not? Just throw Super in front of it. Uh, the Super Axis was Baron Blood, that British traitor slash Nazi vampire. masterman and Warrior Woman, who are a pair of Nazi super soldiers. Gross. Awful. Yeah. Uh, U-Man, who is an Atlantean scientist who allies with the Axis powers and then gets beefed up by Nazi science. And then you have Lady Lotus, a Japanese villain with psychic powers. That was that one team. But throughout the course of this run, we see the Scarlet Scarab, Agent Axis, Lady Asbestos. <laughs> yes. <Sorry>. Yes. <laughs> Lady Asbestos. She ties into the Toro's origin, but her name is Lady Asbestos. I love her. It's uh, like,
1: what's so terrible about you? I don't know. What's this building made of? <laughs>
0: yeah. We also have the Teutonic Commando. We have Frankenstein's monster shows up for a while sure, uh, and, and more, but we also see Thor used as oh. a villain. Uh, you can see him in <gasps> Invaders number 32 and 33. Thor. Yeah.
1: What's up? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's going on?
0: Okay. Back to more villains and one I, I we cannot forget. It is Brain Drain, a.k.a. one of the best characters in Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, who was actually originally an Invaders villain in the 1970s. He shows up way back in Invaders number two. Without the Invaders, who knows what Unbeatable Squirrel Girl would have been like?
1: Well, this sounds like a job for What If.
0: What If is involved in one of in, in some of the Invaders' storytelling bits and pieces. There's a great Invaders' story that is tied to What If in there. So the Invader series wrapped with issue number 41, which has a double page spread at the end of the book, which all of the heroes from all of the teams that have shown up in the series coming together, going after Hitler and the Axis powers— It's a really neat spread. If you can, you should grab it and put it in the article because then you get a sense of all these characters we've been talking about. Uh, It's just fun to see them together. So the invaders, they fought through World War II and then Cap and Bucky, they get lost at the end of the war. War ends, folks move on. As we mentioned, some of the invaders joined the all-winner squad after the war. And if you read the new Marvel Comics Presents, you'll see what happened to Namor after World War II and how he disappeared. So there's this gap. He was an original Timely Era comics character. He appears again in the first couple of issues of Fantastic Four as an amnesiac. He's got a beard, and he doesn't know what happened. This actually, this Marvel Comics Presents story tells you how he got to that stage. It's really, it's, it'll break your damn heart. It's really good. So you can read just about all the Invaders issues on Marvel Unlimited. I would also suggest you check out Marvel Premiere 29 and 30. Those issues cross over with Avengers 5 and 6. That's the 70s Invaders. We've had more though. So there was a new Invader series in 2004 set in modern times. And this, this team was secretly put together by Red Skull in his Del Rusk identity. On the team were a US agent, Submariner, Blazing Skull, Spitfire, a new Union Jack, a new Human Torch uh, named Tara, and the Thin Man. So you have a, a mix of original and new generation heroes. We had an Avengers Invader series from 2008 to 2009 by Alex Ross, Jim Kruger, and Steve Sadowski, and a bunch of others. It had time travel, the Cosmic Cube, Red Skull, lots of Golden Age and 70s Invaders heroes. It's a really neat 12-issue series, especially as it has these classic invaders meeting the post-Civil War era Avengers and other characters. You get Bucky when he was Captain America talking to his younger self, who was Bucky, and like what goes through his head, how he's feeling. This is also right after Steve Rogers was believed dead after Civil War and the death of Captain America. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in this story. We had an Invaders Now series from 2010 featuring really great Alex Ross covers, much like the covers for Avengers Invaders. And Ross even worked on the story with writer Christos Gage. It has Arnim Zola, the old Invaders, and the original Vision, who is... Really fascinating character. We're not going to get into him, but he's a '40s era character that inspired the vision that we know today. In 2014, we launched an all-new Invader series by writer James Robinson, along with artist Steve Pugh and a bunch of others. It's got some of the original Invaders together, but it adds Martians and Deathlocks and Kree and other new cool characters. And then that leads us to our current new Invader series by Chip, Butch, and Carlos. The sort of the story behind this one is we get modern stories of Namor as he's raging against humans for destroying his oceans and his people, rightfully so. But that's kind of always been his thing. Now he's really hardcore on it. All the while you have Cap and Bucky and, and, and some people trying to appeal to him as friends, former team, like people who know him better than anyone else on land, really. And then we also, are, in this story, are getting these flashbacks to the original Invaders tales during World War II. So you get these original old school invaders things plus the modern stuff ties into what we're doing in the Avengers book. It's really fantastic.
1: We actually have an interview with Chip Zdarsky on marvel.com and he does talk about being inspired by Roy Thomas and reading those comics in preparation for his own invaders. So ooh, definitely give that a read. He's bowing down to the legend for For sure. For sure.
0: Only one issue was is out at the time of us recording this, so jump on. It is great.
1: Oh, it's so good. It's a really beautifully drawn issue, too. It's a really nice, nostalgic-feeling story because it's got that— Like, we also released the 80th anniversary One-Shot War as Hell, number one, and it's just that whole sort of reminiscent of another time feeling in Invaders number one. So it's— I loved it. I really loved it. I can't wait for the next one.
0: It's terrific. Uh, As Jamie mentioned, if you want Details, character names, links to comics, all pictures, all that good stuff. It'll be on an article on Marvel.com. We'll link to it in our story.
1: Yeah, just think of this as like a Steven Spielberg, Ken Burns episode of This Week in Marvel.
0: That's always what I think of This Week in Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Steven Spielberg and Ken Burns, time (laughs) to talk to Taz.
1: Hey, Taz.
0: Yeah, Taz is great. I'm a big wrestling nerd, as many of you know. And uh, I remember going seeing ECW when I was, you know, 16, 17 years old and seeing Taz, And dude is a little bit shorter than me, but he was terrifying. He was like this pure muscle. He could throw anybody. Like he had a big famous feud with Bam Bam Bigelow, which we talk about in the interview. Bam Bam must have been like 6'5", 400 pounds. Very athletic, big dude. His bald head tattooed with flames. Ouch. So awesome. Ouch. I love Bam Bam. Uh, But Taz could take him and whoop, toss him over his head. Wow. It's It's really cool. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking with Taz. Again, reminder, there's a video to this interview. Uh, It's a lot of fun. It's different from what you'll hear in the podcast. Check them both out, and then we'll come back after that for Community.
2: Taz. Ah, Yes. How you doing? I'm good, bro. I'm good, Ryan. I appreciate it. I love being here. I'm ready. I'm like in awe of all the amazing stuff i've seen already and we haven't even done the fancy dan tour yet no we haven't even gone downstairs and seen all that stuff i'm good and show you how comics are made and all that good stuff it's gonna be fun awesome awesome looking forward to this and being here and i understand like uh marvel fan base how rabid they are and worldwide the mass of it similar to wrestling yeah you know where there's that pride in, in that fan base so Our worlds collide. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. We're going to get into that a little bit. But (laughs) before
2: we do, I want
0: to understand what your Marvel origin story is. When and and how did you first get connected to or or recognize the Marvel characters? Was it a comic book, a cartoon, a movie, pajamas, whatever Mm -hmm.
2: it was? My brother is eight years older than me. Uh And uh, unlike me, very artsy type guy where I was an athlete. So he... uh, He's my big brother, so he was like my role model, right? So when I was younger, he liked Captain America, so I did. And so that was it. He had an old T-shirt, like a Captain America T-shirt, and he had a Spider-Man T-shirt. And so then his old shirt became my shirt. So that type of thing. We weren't exactly rich kids, so it was hand-me-downs. No, so, but yeah, yeah I was, hey, I'll take the old Captain America. I don't know where that shirt is, but it was pretty cool. It was a, a great shirt. With nice Captain shirt. America, oh, anyway. that's a good one. pretty cool, man. Yeah.
0: yeah. Did you read the Cap comics that he had, or was it just, you know, like that sibling thing?
2: Initially, I just, I loved the, yeah, I was younger, so I, I loved the, the, the colors, the vibrant, you know, and, yeah. and, and the fighting, the physicality, and you know, all that. And then we'd get into reading them and stuff, but I grew up in New York, right? Yeah. So I grew up a city kid, so... <laughs> Hello, you know, Marvel, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so You're important simple. to us. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, you, you mentioned comics and wrestling. and it, They really are so similar, especially to me, not just the fan bases, but it's like the similarities are so incredible to me. They have big drama, big action, big characters. It's,
2: it's so cool. Uh, yes, I agree with everything you just said. There's a ton, a plethora of plethora of similarities between how the details of a comic book, how it's written, and a story arc. In pro wrestling, especially in WWE and some of the bigger wrestling companies, there's that story arcs, in, and that's, that's a key thing with wrestling and in the writing of wrestling where I think there is that similarity besides the fan base.
0: Yeah, think of like you and Sabu back in the day. Like How many years was that? Well,
2: it <laughs> felt like 50 years. I mean, because the battles, they were physical. I mean, it's a show, it's entertainment. The finish of the match is predetermined, but as you know, at times it gets extremely physical. And during that time, as you know, we were in a company called ECW where it was built on physicality, you know, even though it was a show. And Sabu and I, we didn't touch, like we were in a feud for a year and there was no writers, it was Paul Heyman. (laughs) He said, you guys should not do any physicality, not touch, just call out Sabu and he'll come out, but we'll hold him back. And I was the heel, the bad guy. He was the good guy, the babyface, And built up this anticipation for a year, which is unheard of today in wrestling, as you know, That yeah. where there's that amount of time where two two opponents don't touch. At a big pay-per-view called Barely Legal in Philadelphia, once we locked up and had a match, it was, it was epic. Fireworks. Even Paul Heyman said it back then, like, no matter how great the match is that we have, it's not going to live up to the hype. We had, like, better matches where there was no TV cameras. You know, like, that match was really good, but we were... Time, it's a long story. There's a lot of time constraints on it.
0: was your first pay-per-view. It was, it was our first deal. pay-per-view. It was
2: a big deal, and we had to hit time cues, which we were, we were never did. <laughs> ECW was just like, just freewheeling. God, just go crazy. Don't worry about it. It was just mayhem, as you know. The Sabu Taz stuff was heavy and physical and a story that lasted a long time. Yeah, yeah one of my favorites. Me too.
0: So um, I want to get into some of your wrestling story and, you know, like ECW. Yeah. How did you get into ECW? How did you start in
2: wrestling? Well, I started in wrestling because I needed a job, to be honest. <laughs> I, um, I, I was a football player in high school and in college. And then I had a judo background as a youngster and always was a physical kid. And I never was like a huge, crazy wrestling fan as a young kid. I was a fan, but I wasn't like a crazed fan, you know. And it wasn't like my dream to be a pro wrestler. I, I didn't really think of it. I was indifferent to it. And then my dad knew a guy, who knew a guy, one of those deals, who was training uh, guys and girls to be pro wrestlers. And this was in 1986, 1985, decades ago. Wow. Literally. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. So uh, anyways, a guy named Johnny Rods, the unpredictable Johnny Rods, and he was training guys in Brooklyn.
0: A big deal in New York, like wrestling
2: legend. Wrestling legend that for a lot of his career in WWF back then, Johnny Rods was enhancement talent where he was losing to guys to make other guys look good but those guys especially back then were vital to the success of the talent they were building so those guys underneath guys as we call them so johnny was that guy and he was a respected pro wrestler and and it was the toughest thing i ever did training under him for nine months it was brutal and i wanted to quit non-stop and at the time my girlfriend who's now my wife she's like No, you're not a quitter. Don't quit. And I didn't have the money to go to the school. Like, her and her brother lent me the money to go to the school. And my wife still says to this day, I kind of regret lending you that money. (laughs) I've yet to pay them both back. We were together (laughs) since high school. So she kind of wanted a 9 to 5 type guy. You know, she's not into the whole, wow, my husband's a world champion, a pro wrestler. She could, she she really didn't care. So uh, once I got trained by Rod's, I figured, all right, I'm going to go out and make a ton of money. I'm going to go out and make tons of money. I'm going to be a big star. So I'm pretty good at this. Yeah, that didn't happen. It took me six years until I made an actual decent living. I was working for the Long Island Railroad as a trackman. I was a security guard. I was a bouncer. Any way to just pay for the small bills I had. Any vacation time I had, like for the railroad, I would use to go wrestle. Any money I made, I would just use to pay bills and to make my, just like a superhero would be, you know, the way that your costume is. It's the same thing for us, our gimmick, what we wear. So I'd put money into that. I got the bug because it was hard. And everybody told me, ah, it's going to be tough for you to make it because, you know, you're you're under six feet and all that stuff. So, you know, I'm the type of guy. You tell me, well, you're not going to do it. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I got my real first break in Japan. So working in Tokyo for a company called New Japan. And I worked several tours in Tokyo and Osaka. And when I came back to America, my name had a little more credibility behind it and then I started still grinding away but worked and then I got hooked up with ECW in 1993 and then it just took off. Yeah. yeah. So you're in ECW, you start out as the Tasmanian? I did. I was wrestling as a character called the Tasmaniac and where I was barefoot and I had like fur on. It was crazy, right? It was like a spin off of the Tasmanian Devil, but at that time gimmicks were very in, like characters in a lot of guys had animals walking to the ring with them, like pets or bulldogs, and as you know. And so, I didn't want to have like an animal, like a real like rodent with me. So I figured I'll do this Tasmanian Devil thing, but yet once the bell rings, I want to bring my athleticism, my wrestling ability so they could snicker when they see how I'm dressed. But then once they see me go, they respect me, and I always wanted to be respected, and I made sure I I did that. And that Tasmanian character was basically a, a kind of a hybrid mixture of. Uh, the missing link. If you remember the missing mm-hmm. link from years ago, the wild Samoans, and then the early goings of the Steiner brothers, where they were—I saw how they were implementing suplexing. So I'm like, well, I have the ability, the physical ability, and the talent, the athleticism to do perform suplexing, but I'm gonna create some suplexes that are that no one's seen, and that's kind of what I did, and that's how the Tasmaniac thing started. And then once it rolled well for a couple years in ECW, we we. Paul Heyman, who was the owner and the creative genius behind ECW, felt like, hey, dude, we need to get you, build your brand bigger, and you need to be able to talk on the microphone, because the Tasmaniac character would never talk. He'd grunt and growl and spit and act like a Tasmaniac would act. And he's like, you have the gift of gab. Let's get it out there. You're a New York guy. You're an athlete. And that's what we did. And then it started to work out well, where I lost the fur and put boots on and was a wrestler's wrestler. And a hot ass and all this stuff. and then, Scary
0: dude. Yeah. like, you know, as a fan yeah. back then, yeah. like, why, like, oh, this guy will destroy everyone. Yeah,
2: well, because I believed it. Yeah. I don't care what you do. If you're a pro wrestler or if you're someone who is a creative genius that's creating a character for Marvel Comics, a new superhero, hypothetically, right? I believe you have to have a vision and you have to live the vision and believe in that vision. You have to visualize it happening. So that Taz character, when I became the human suplex machine, he was a killing machine. He was incorporating MMA into pro wrestling before MMA was ever in pro wrestling. Everybody was hitting a big move on a guy and pinning a guy where the human suplex machine, Taz, like, no, no, I'm going to choke you out, and either you're going to tap out, before anybody was tapping out in wrestling, yeah. or I'm just going to choke you out till you pass out, almost like death, and I'm going to leave... <laughs> and come back the next night and do it again. Yeah. Just me talking about it, I feel it now, and <laughs> I'm way past my prime. Please don't choke me out. No, I won't. I did this for so many years that it's still in me. Yeah. So I had a lot of anger in me and a lot of rage in me, and the character was all about anger, rage, violence, all business, you know, simple. So I've always said, for those that are maybe not wrestling fans, I feel like pro wrestlers are a hybrid, in no particular order, of an athlete, an actor, and a stuntman. You're not gonna get the greatest of actor. You're maybe not gonna get the greatest athlete that would be in the NFL or the NBA or something, but you're gonna get a pretty damn good stunt man or stunt woman, you know? So it's kind of that mixture. When I went to WWE, and especially coming from ECW, I figured, all right, well the physicality is a little less. It wasn't. It was actually more because Vince McMahon, you know, everybody thinks he's just all about the show and the hype and the branding and it no, he wanted physicality, like big time physicality. Not being a giant guy, I knew they had a bigger ring than everybody else. See, Mm -hmm. most pro wrestling rings are 18 by 18, 18 square. WWE rings are 20 by 20. So it's, ah, it's two feet difference. It's two feet around difference. It's a big difference. And the ropes are a lot higher. So I had to train in a WWE ring in Connecticut at their office for like a week or so before I debuted just to get used to that bigger ring because it changes the way you work. It's very inside, but... It's true.
0: Like a, a comic artist, they they you know working different from digital to a perfect paper. example. They have to change the That's way right. that it's they totally function. Totally different. Totally yeah.
2: different. Yeah.
0: I've got two questions in here from fans on Twitter. First one comes from Todd Mathy. He says, "Which Bam Bam Bigelow bump was more painful, through the ring or the ramp?" <sighs> oh,
1: 1998
0: feud. I remember watching Heat Wave. Yeah, view.
2: Well, the first one was Living Daisley in Asbury Park. Yep. We went through the ring. Yep. And then Dayton, Ohio was that was that, was heat, that wave. Was heat wave. Yeah, yeah. I always forget the names. I know it sounds weird. I was in the match, and I actually forget the name. Well, because you know you're so sure. locked into the you, match. You, yeah, you've had thousands of matches. Yeah, just, and I designed all the logos for all those. A lot of people don't realize that. Like I did all the graphics for all those pay per views. And all the T-shirts, all the powerful, all the guys, you know.
0: I have a, had a bunch of ECW. Yeah, and they I, fell did, apart. I yeah, I put all. Of,
2: yeah. I wore them so much. Yeah, I put a lot of that stuff together. And and anyway, the only reason why I brought that up about the logos, because when I think of a pay per view that I wrestled in, I for ECW, I think of the logo because I know what I designed, That's <laughs> and great. then I clicked to it. But anyway, to answer his question, I would say the first match, the one in Jersey at Asbury Park, where we went through the ring, I had put the. Taz Mission on Bam Bam Bigelow, and we went through the ring. It was a stunt. It was a dangerous stunt that we'd never done in ECW. We weren't doing stunts. We were all straight physicality, but the ring was obviously gimmicked. You know, we didn't really break the ring. I think most people know that, but no one expected it. And um, I remember going through the ring, and they had a small crash mat. Before this happened, it was was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, yo, like to the ring crew, can we like maybe get like... (laughs) another crash mat that's a little, f- like, thicker. Well, now nah, we only have this one. It was like a little, like, amateur wrestling mat. And Bam Bam looked at me. He was like... Bam Bam like, was like 350. Was, yeah, at the time, yeah, he take. was, God rest his soul, he was yeah. like 350, 6'3", and one of the toughest SOBs you ever met in your life. He was nasty. And even <laughs> Bam Bam was like, yeah, I think we need a bigger mat. And he wasn't, because, see, the thing was, Bam Bam was going to land on me. I was going to land first. That's what people don't realize. So it hurt a lot. Yeah. Cause you're going backwards. Going backwards, and he is, you know, a massive human. It's like a small foreign car, like (laughs) you know, just falling on my chest and face. And they got us a bigger mat. It didn't matter. It sucked. I didn't get injured. And I remember Bam Bam saying, "You're right." "Uh, We were under the ring. No one could see us, and the place was going crazy. And I remember Bam Bam saying to me, he goes, man, this is awesome. I go, no, dude, don't get out. Stay. Stay here. Because no? <laughs> Bam Bam was going to win a match. So we knew he was going to come out first. And, but anyway, uh, that hurt, like, a lot.
0: One more quick one from Twitter. Righteous Ninja says he thinks you would be a great puck from Alpha Flight. I think Righteous Ninja Taz is a bit bigger than puck. Puck's little guy. Yeah, little guy. But anyway, and he wants to know if you still practice martial arts.
2: No, I don't practice martial arts anymore. I was... Uh, When I was younger, you know, playing judo, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It kept me out of trouble, and it helped me really learn how to protect my body in the ring as a pro wrestler faster than a lot of guys that were in my class. The way a judo player, it's called a player because it's an Olympic sport, right? So they call it a player. The way a judo player falls, the way you're taught to fall is the exact same way pro wrestlers are taught to fall. So I had a big jump on that when I got into wrestling. And Johnny Rods knew that right away, that I had a judo background. So same thing with Ronda Rousey, as you see in WWE. All her success, she learned how to bump quick because she knew how to bump because of her great legacy. She throws real well. She's an international star. Forget her success in UFC. Like... She's a world class judoka, like a world champion. Like I'm talking legit legit. Like she was just badass before badass was even badass. <laughs> She's a young girl, like yeah. she was really insanely talented, but the bumping, the falling is the same. Yeah. So, That's cool. you know, that that helped me.
0: Yeah. When you watch a movie, even maybe a Marvel movie, I, I think of Captain America, uh Winter Soldier in some of these instances. What do you think when you see them doing wrestling moves? Like I watch a a movie and I see like a suplex or her hurricanrana, like Black Widow, she does hurricanranas all the time. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. look at
2: that. (laughs) My son and I, we kind of plan it, you know, like when he comes home from school. This last one we watched when he was back for Thanksgiving break was Black Panther. I saw a lot of different type of arm drags and takedowns and leg sweeps, like in the fight scenes, you know. i trying to think of some other throws I've seen with some other Marvel characters. Definitely the ranas you see, for sure. I've seen that, yeah, definitely.
0: I know we'll probably get some of your fans coming in and checking things out. So we do actually have a wrestling federation in the Marvel Universe. It's what? Called, Can I book it? Yeah, I, I would love that. I'm it's good. called the <laughs> Unlimited Class Wrestling Federation. Some of my favorites who wrestled there, Pound Cakes and Titania, two female wrestlers. They're awesome. Armadillo, who's just a big dude who is an armadillo man. Yeah. Demolition Man, a.k.a. D-Man, who's one of my absolute favorite D-Man. characters. I like that. Uh, Who looks like, like a budget Daredevil slash Wolverine, but he's terrific. Budget. And then, of course, the thing, oh. uh, New York kid, uh, he was the champion. I, I just think it's cool that we we actually have a wrestling federation. It's been around for like twenty five years. I, I, I got to be
2: frank, I didn't know that, but I, I think know. it's cool. Yeah, uh, and you've got two shows that are keeping you super busy these days, right? Yes, sir, Ryan. I do. I'm a co-host of a show on CBS Sports Radio called Taz and the Moose. It's myself and a gentleman by the name of Mark Malusis, who is a uh, bona fide expert sportscaster. We're both New York guys, but we do a national show for CBS Sports Radio. You could listen to it on radio.com, live, it streams every day, or on many affiliates in the United States, CBS Sports Radio, CBS Sports Radio's website, or a podcast every day also, and then I do the Taz Show, which I'm deep into 600 episodes now, which is all wrestling, but now the Taz Show is a straight podcast, then it was a live streaming video and audio show, and my podcasts are rarely guest-driven, they're topic-driven, so it's just me. For the most part. Yeah. Just covering wrestling and then doing 15 hours a week of sports radio. I love to talk. I love to eat and uh, and read comic books.
0: Yeah, so. I'm going to come on the Taz show. Uh, yes, I you are. You just story. invited
2: yourself. That's rude. You invited me. I invited you. Uh, I, I, I do have
0: some <laughs> of my recollections about ECW that I want to share on your show. My
2: audience right. is going to love you. Totally. So it's going to be cool.
0: Big thanks to Taz. Uh, he and I are going to get together one more time real soon where I'm going to be on his podcast. Uh, he talked about how you can find it and everything. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more. Uh, make sure to mention that when I, when I show up on his show.
1: Is he going to throw you? Uh, I think he's retired. He's retired oh, from okay. throwing
0: fools. I would be a fool and <laughs> uh, he would throw me pretty easily, but he's since
1: retired. Oh, he's what a sweetheart.
0: Yeah. But now it is time for community. Uh, And the first one I wanted to get to was an email we got in from Aaron Spratt. He says, hi, new listener. Hi. Hi. He says, I just listened to your podcast for the first time yesterday, and I wish you could know the feeling that went through me when I started listening. Your podcast is what I've been looking for for so long. Thank you for keeping it going and keep doing what you're doing. And he was signed uh, by Aaron Spratt, and he has uh, what looks like a military designation from his name, we believe. It is Cadet First Sergeant. So thank you for uh, your service. Various parts of my family and my wife's family are military, and so I always appreciate the work that our soldiers do.
1: Thank you for your service, Aaron.
0: Yeah. All right. We've got more this week, though. We've got one in here from Tim Massing on Twitter. He says, after watching Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I went out. And bought a year of Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, you did. Already read the whole Spider-Verse slash Inheritor storyline, thinking either Civil War or Secret Wars. Next. I, who, uh. Oh, yeah. Mm.
1: What's your recommendation?
0: So, Secret Wars, the story from, like, four or five years ago, is one of my all-time favorite comic book storylines. And it is massive. You can't go wrong. We have so many suggestions in the app. Just read everything.
1: You're going to go down a really fun rabbit hole, Tim Massing. Indeed. Karis Pollard says, New comic book day for me this week was Asgardians, Invaders, and Black Widow, but this week's This Week in Marvel pick for me was Invaders. Love the story, which has so much heart and drama, the lovely characterization of Cap, an interesting view of Namor, not to mention the gorgeous art with the contrast between the past and the present. Word up, Karis. Yeah. Fitting
0: for this, uh, this episode. Yes,
1: very, very relevant. Thank you. Thank you for anticipating what we were going to talk about. <laughs> uh,
0: Simon Williams says his Twim of the Week for January 16th was Ironheart number two. Little Riri and her Afro were adorable.
1: Oh, I love Little Riri. Comic Book Nerd says after reading some Punisher stories on Marvel Unlimited, good job for you. I have to say my favorite is issue number 12 of his second run because I'm a son of a truck driver. And it was so cool seeing him act and speak like a trucker with a handle and everything.
0: There's a really good one, his next tweet, saying uh, a close second would be issue 14 of the same run where he goes undercover as a teacher. I love the part where he throws the troublesome student out (laughs) the window and says that he won't be around long enough to get sued. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what is going? I have I have I don't I probably read it when I was younger. Oh, Frank. But man, that's wild.
1: I love it. Yeah. And Alex Moorhead says my favorite single issue story is The Punisher number 63. Frank is going grocery shopping when punks try to rob the store. He takes down a bad guy by using a live lobster from the seafood section. Ends with him angry because he then has to find a new store. Yeah, I mean, how inconvenient. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> we, we need a question of the week for this week so if you could be any one of the characters who show up in Invaders you've got dozens of characters to choose from
1: I'll list them for you.
0: yeah who would you be I think that'll be a fun exercise we'll see what it is you can send your questions and your comments and your answers to our question of the week using hashtag this week in Marvel on Twitter you can email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or you can send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel.
1: Except I'm already Spitfire, so you'll have to pick something else. Fine, I'll be <laughs> Namor.
0: I'm always Namor. You're of
1: course your Namor. He's so pretty.
0: <laughs> anyway, that's it. That wraps it up. Thanks for listening. We'll be back another episode next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. And this is Marvel. Your universe.